Welcome to episode five of the We've Got Issues podcast, the one where we go full colour. I'm Esther Dadal. I'm Sarah Stevens. And today we're going to be joined by our good friend Rachel Kinney. Um, she is a University of Leicester alumni, did her master's in English uh, with us, which is uh, why Sarah and I both know her. Mm-hmm. And she's also an independent artist and teacher. Hello. Hello. Uh, thanks for joining us, Rachel. So, <laughs> Esther, I'm going to start with the usual question. Why did you choose In Real Life as this month's graphic novel recommendation? When, when I was setting up the list, I kind of realised that we'd had quite a few heavy ones in a row, a few uh, heavy topic graphic novels in a <laughs> okay. row. So I was thinking, on the one hand, that's really good because it kind of demonstrates that graphic novels can do really serious topics and can do them well. Um, on the other hand, maybe something a bit lighter and something a bit more colourful. Um, and in real life kind of fits that really well because it does deal with some serious topics, but it is more colourful, it's a bit more cheerful. And I thought that would be a really interesting um, way forward. I'm not going to lie, it was nice to read something that didn't make me feel like really sad after reading it. <laughs> or like questioning you know the world around me it was quite nice to have a bit of something even but that said there are some interesting topics in there it's not Mm. all um it's it's not all fairy tales and fun times no no it's it's a good mix it's a good mix of of, of the two um and I think when I put it on the list I hadn't read it yet um I'd read a lot of reviews I think people really liked it Mm -hmm. so I kind of put it on the list in brackets thinking oh if it is really good if I like it we're definitely going to do it so then I had the opportunity to read it and it is really engaging and a very, very fast read. Like it is slimmer than quite a few of the texts we've had um, uh, this this year, but it is a very, very smooth, fast read. I think I did read it in like a day or something like that. I read like it I just, about, I, I, well, I read it initially and then I, I reread it on Monday and it took me about an hour to get through the entire thing. If yeah, that. yeah. It was, it's pretty, yeah. pretty I mean, easy to read, which is nice. It's yeah. nice to have something you can just pick up and... Yeah, you know, I mean, it's very through. much... To me, like um, the pace of reading can differ very much with graphic novels because, like, you can always go back and revisit and like look at panels and stuff. Like, it's really mm-hmm. interesting how the graphic novels can change from one reading to another mm. depending on what you're paying attention to. Um, but definitely, an hour is very feasible for in real life because it's just so smooth. The pace is the pacing is very well done, I would say. Um, what do you think, Rachel? I agree. I think um, it, there was not a sense of over-narration, which you can get, especially with a lot of serious mm-hmm. comments. Mm-hmm. They can tend to over-narrate, and I think the absence of that is actually what makes this comic quite refreshing. Um, I mean, I read it in 40 minutes, cause I read it in a tram journey. Um, and yeah, I think the way that the panels are shaped, um, how the text flows down, and there are pages where it's got a lot of information, but you, it's information you don't need to read. Like you just need to know it's there. Uh, on the page where you see the gold farming, like what they're actually selling, it's got about six lines that you could read, but you just need to know, oh, okay, that's they're selling gold yeah. for money. And um, I think, yeah, that a sort of absence of needing to read it, but knowing it's there makes it a much smoother flow. Yeah, well, like looking through here, I'm looking at the the dialogue is, I mean, you get some pages where there's quite a bit of dialogue, but really it's, it's quite sparse. The artwork is very important, I think. Yes. I think you very rarely get, like, well, I would say straight out narration. A lot of the things you mm. piece together from dialogue and from the background, I think in real mm. life is really good at giving you so much information from what is visually depicted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's really interesting because I think we've had uh, comics that do that in less detail previously. So yeah. I, I would say, because I mean, obviously it's, it's always a relationship between 
text than art, uh, the graphic novel. But I think in real life just has a really, really good way. And I can't put my finger on exactly what it is and how it does it, but it just conveys so much information. I think a lot of it is that kind of that online aspect of it because it mm. it's about online gaming. So if you're kind of familiar with like symbols, internet symbols and stuff like that, or like the layout, like a computer or a program, you kind of just pick up a lot of stuff because it kind of utilizes that, mm-hmm. I would say. What do you think? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a very natural, if you, I mean, of our generation who do use computers a lot, it's very accessible, mm. but at the same time, it doesn't rely on uh, in-depth knowledge of MMOs. Yeah, which is mm. MMOs are uh, multi, massive multiplayer <laughs> online online games. Because I had to keep saying it, <laughs> like, oh, keep looking it up, and I was like, I will remember this. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I think it's quite good at not treating the the reader like an idiot. Basically, it, it's it's um. I don't know. I would say it's like simple, but it's not. That doesn't mean it's not got a lot to it. It's just very clever with what it does, I think. It uses, like, the minimum amount to tell a lot. I definitely agree with that, though. Um, It's not, like, minimalist storytelling, but it has that kind of vibe, I think. Mm -hmm. I feel like it trusts the reader to piece a lot together Mm -hmm. because it knows how strong it is in terms of narration. So it's not afraid that you're going to miss something. Mm -hmm. Credit to Jen Wang as well because she... Like it doesn't say she was sad. It shows that the main character when she is sad, you see it in the art, mm-hmm. and I think that's what a lot of comics can kind of fall back on, or they'll sort of be like, "Oh, my inner thoughts. I'm so sad." Yeah. But yeah. whereas this one, yeah, it just definitely. gives you a panel of her face. It's like, okay, yeah, she's feeling sad. Yeah, yeah. there's some really nice um, close-up panels of Anders face actually that really show kind of it's what a, she's thinking and and how she's feeling about stuff. It's a bit similar to blankets in that regard, I think, because I think blankets are something very similar where it kind of really. Um, obviously you have lots and lots of narrations about the inner thought process but you also have moments where they're silent and it fixates on faces in real life has something that 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 close-up of the face I'm sure loads of graphic novels actually do that um, mm-hmm. but I, I think I think that is really really well well put that you see so much from from the artwork mm-hmm. and I personally like I said we, we talked about how smooth it is as a read but I also just really enjoyed it I just really liked it what did, what did you guys think reading it um it's a bit of a weird one for me because when I first read it, I think, I think because of kind of the other stuff we'd done before, I was a bit like, oh, is that is that it? <laughs> it was almost like it was too light. And <laughs> no one dies. Yeah. No one gets attacked. What? <laughs> What's going on? So I kind of felt like it it was quite light, but then I kind of remembered that you've got to kind of just see it for what it is. Mm. And that's the thing about like I mean, here we are kind of talking about graphic novels and stuff. You can't necessarily compare them all because they are so different and they are for different kind of purposes. And, you know, like we've read one like Nat Turner, which goes into such detail about some really intense issues. And then you've got something like this, which is a lot lighter. And it's very hard to sit here and say, you know, how did I feel about that one? You know, maybe in comparison to that one or whatever. So I think on the first read, I was a bit like, mm. but actually on the second read, I probably enjoyed it a little bit more. Maybe again, because I did a bit of research and that's one thing I've found from doing this podcast is that I enjoy things a lot more when I've researched about it and I've gone back and read it again. Also, sorry, just to like go on a bit of a monologue, but I'd also, um, I read this short story that, that um, in real life is based on, yeah. uh, Anders Game, and that is quite different. And it did make me question why they didn't take more from that, make it more like the original story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is an interesting point. I think it's because, I would say, because it wasn't meant to be a straight out adaptation as such. No. Um, what, do, what do you think, Rachel? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I wasn't aware it was actually based off uh, another narrative. 
Um, and I know I kind of felt the same when I first read it. Mm. Um, but I read it a couple of years ago, and I think I was going through a stage of like searching stories with deep, serious meanings. <laughs> and um, I was like, okay, it's a good comic, but it, it, it that's it's a good comic. Yeah. And then now I reread it, and I was like, okay, I see what I disliked about it before, mm-hmm. and there is still an element about it that I'm kind of like, hmm. But at the same time, it's really nice and a warm positive comic and i think there's a lot of positivities about it that outweigh the negative so i like it i like it i feel like it's to me like when i was growing up um like the internet first came in and i think when when i was first growing up it was kind of very much this idea of oh it's going to help us all connect it's going to bring us all close together the global community the global village um and now as an out i'm like twitter is the worst thing that's ever happened to humanity it's it's a hell site Whereas I think having read in real life, I kind mm-hmm. of think back on, I oh, don't you know, actually there are really positive things about the way that we are able to connect online. Yes, yeah. it gets taken advantage of. Yes, there are dark, dark aspects to it. But I think in real life kind of demonstrates um, what we could do if, you know, most people who went online tried to make it a positive If we weren't experience. trash. <laughs> if, if human beings weren't ultimately trash bears, yes. Definitely. Well, it's actually worth reading in the front of In Real Life. There's a little um, introduction by Corey. Uh, I don't know how it's actually Corey Doctorow. Corey Doctorow. I felt like that's how it was said, but I wasn't sure and didn't make a fool of myself. I don't know how that was said either, but that's what I think yeah. it is. I'm going Corey Doctorow, the introduction, um, yeah, talks about sort of the internet and how it can be used for like activism and you know the fact that it can be a force for good despite the sort of the negatives in there and that's actually because sometimes when you see an intro at the beginning by the author or whatever you're like I can't bother to read this I just want to read the book yeah but that's actually <laughs> it is actually worth reading because it's quite um yeah it's a nice little insight to read before you kind of you read it or after you've read the novel yeah I, I think that's a good point because I think on the one hand yeah. activism like what, what what we call direct action has plummeted since the advent mm-hmm. of um, the internet but I feel like increasingly uh, the way that the internet can be used to mobilise people is becoming very clear. Yeah. Um, so it's that, it's that kind of, it's, it's, it's the two sides of the coin, yeah. isn't it? Well, he was saying, I think on, on a most basic level, it's stuff like the amount of time that he as a young person used to spend, say, like um, stuffing envelopes and posting them and that to, to get information out. Whereas now you can you can do that all for free. And that's an ama- amazing resource. Yeah. Um, it's about how you utilise it, I guess, yeah. at the end of the day. But I think it is an interesting um, point that, because I, I was not aware that it had been um, based on a previous short story. Yeah, but it was it was Cory Doctorow's own short story. Oh, right, okay. That was, yeah, released in 2004. Mm. I was quite I was quite surprised to say about how different it was, okay. because it's more adult in its language, in its tone. Mm. Um, it's possibly a little bit more negative about gaming than... Oh, right. Yeah, and especially on the physical effect, like... In the um, the graphic novel, like we can physically see that um, Ander is in a larger body, but he kind of in the in the in the short story really kind of pushes at home that she's like overweight and right. to a point where I was a bit like I'm not sure I like this. Yeah, and and there's like a bit where she kind of loses weight towards the end, and that's kind of placed as part of her arc of her story I'm like. not sure I like that yeah mm. and it's really bizarre your weight is actually not an accurate an accurate indicator indicator exactly of your health so did he kind of say oh she came off the internet and then lost weight yeah it was it's basically implied that because she stopped spending time in it and that she starts kind of doing other stuff that she she loses weight right because if you are a naturally heavier person just 
walking around is going to help you lose weight. That's not how any of this works. Yeah. That's not how any of that works. It kind of made me a little bit sad. Yeah, that makes me a bit sad. I'm Um, just like, Jesus, I was rooting for you, Corey. What the hell, man? But then that said, there is a big gap between when that was written and when this was published, which means that reflecting on that, things might have been changed in order to reflect his own I mean, change in values. I certainly feel that in the last 10 years there's, there's an increased awareness mm-hmm. about that relationship between body weight and health and mental health and gaming yeah. and that we now know because I think like the early noughties that was like the big scary time when it was like oh uh, everyone's gaming and watching TV and mm-hmm. people are gonna like the world is gonna end because youngsters don't know how to do anything and yeah. everyone's becoming violent because of video games and all that kind of thing and we, we now know that that's obviously not true yeah so yeah I mean when was this because this was published 10 um, years after 10 years after so it's, it's interesting then to see those differences do you have any idea what Jan Wang's kind of contribution might have been to the storyline has there been any I know that she basically she had a big input Jan Wang had a big, big input narrative into input. the into the narrative and she worked alongside Corey to put that together yeah. so it, it may well be that a female perspective kind of helped, helped with that because I think I that it's likely but yeah. that's speculation on our part yeah. I mean one of the things that I noted the first time reading this was the fact that that Anders body isn't something that is made into a spectacle or it's and it's a quite a positive so that's I mean that's quite a dramatic difference really so something's happened yeah <laughs> along the line I mean, that's changed that that view yeah I mean I, I think you certainly you said I certainly notice that at a slightly bigger that's mostly because in comparison to her avatar, her avatar is very slim. I think yes. that, that's when I kind of notice. But I, I think you, you make a fairly good point that, like, Ada's obviously not... Her, her body isn't made a big thing. It's not an issue. Um, she seems to be a shy loner, but she doesn't seem to be being bullied because of her weight. That mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be a big element in the story. I, I'm, I'm just flicking through the panel because I'm sure the first time I noticed, oh, yes, this is definitely not, like, an artistic decision, is in the panel on page uh, 118 where she is dyeing her hair. Yeah. And it was kind of when I go, oh, okay, so yeah, this is definitely a sort of deliberate indication to have a larger woman. Yeah. I don't know why it took me that long to notice, but, um, and we could kind of, it's well, something refreshing about it, but it's just, she is a big woman, end of. It's yeah. not, you know, oh, she's a big woman, so therefore well, she's I think that's really interesting that you didn't notice until that far into yeah. the story, because that just kind of indicates how much of a, of a thing it isn't. Like, mm. it, it's definitely mm. not a big deal. It's not a big thing, mm. uh, which I think is really interesting, because I feel like in so many comics, women's bodies are, made a big deal of so yeah one of the things that did pick up on was um the way that Anders' avatar appears and the fact that um her avatar is quite you know, skinny should we say yeah. Yeah. i would say very slim very slim very idealized mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah. very white yeah but like she's meant to be is she meant to be a human in the game is she a human again or is she an elf or something i just assume she's a human and i think she's human because of the species they offer yeah. Um, Clampton, that sounds fun. Uh, yeah, human, but on, if we were to take the screen that we get on page 14, there is no size stick or like um, slider to change, um, which I think is pretty uh, common in MMOs. I know we, myself and Esther, share an MMO um, that we both play. And, and the idea of a, a bigger character just means bigger boobs on women. Not for the norm, though, because the norm are like, but and you can make them quite chastened if you wanted to. Because I think the norm side are like to slide the chest and shoulders in different directions. Uh, no, because it's not a slider that you just pick a, a body type. Really? Yeah, it's a body type, so yeah. you have like skinny 
Because I don't know if I can I think I've oh, I I tried to make my Nora in like as buff or such as possible. Because um, I was like, I want her to be the butchest Nora. The Nora are like giants. They're like human, but they're basically huge. Um, so I was like, I want just the biggest lady I can possibly make mm. more muscle. So I'm just misremembering. Like, I was just like, maybe I just blocked the disappointment. Also, like, but that was even the same for the male characters. So I've got a male character who. I made him as wide as I could, and everything just looks terrible on him because all the outfits are stretched. So it's like, because ah. I was thinking that that was kind of more Amber's choice to make herself appear that way, kind of uh, um, like a fantasy version. Yeah, but possibly it's just through the fact that she she can't physically make her mm-hmm. character look like herself. I mean, that's certainly an interesting point because I think, from what I remember, um, the idea certainly that that the avatar that you pick is kind of an idealized version of what you want to be. I'm actually thinking back, the amount of times that I've had people argue over the fact that they can't make their character look like them, that's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if this idea of that the character is an idealised version of who we are is being pushed on us so that we don't tell companies to go fuck themselves when, <laughs> when, when the options that we have are shit. When I create avatars and games and stuff, I, I, I kind of want some things to be similar but some things to be wildly different. Yeah. I want it to be like have those little touches of you so it does feel personal to you. But it's it's all about having the option, isn't it? It's the mm. fact that you don't even have that choice to mm. because like it's almost like the game comes with saying, well, why why would you want to choose that? Why would you possibly be happy with that? Yeah. yeah. I think it's also not just that. I'm I'm kinda of playing devil's advocate here. But, um, like with multiple outfits, what outfit will fit the slimmest model? Mm-hmm. Then they have to then make that same outfit fit the largest. Yeah. Which um, I think, I mean, you could say, well, why not give them, you know, five certain sizes? So sort of put it on the scale and then make five different versions of the outfit. But then that's more money the video games company have to spend. Yeah. Um, capitalism. For some reason, I just didn't think that you'd have to think of sizes in video games. So I was like, surely you just code it to fit whatever the thing is, which kind of reveals how, how, how little I know about coding probably. My brain's like, yeah, just make it fit. Why is that so large? <laughs> it's like, um, if you draw, say you, like, you draw a picture and then you just stretch it out, yeah. and those pixels will then become stretched. Yeah, so then you have to draw. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. That's definitely, yes, definitely is something I had not considered at mm-hmm. all. Um, and I think that kind of brings us to a very interesting um, point about how this is a comic book about gaming, and it has a girl as the main main character. So how do we feel about that? Yay! Hooray! <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I went through in this only two or three characters that are male. Oh, you've got Raymond... Um, uh, Adwal, Adwal, mm. Adwal, yeah, and her dad. Oh yeah. Oh, you've also got this male nurse who are like, yeah. oh, they're also doing D with the Jenga club. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the best. That is, that is, you know, a stereotype. I mean, that is how I know them to be. Mm. Like as as a woman in nurse spaces, you know, you have people very enthusiastic and very loving, very nice in these communities, but you definitely have like the nerdo gatekeepers yeah. who are like. Ooh, they're not welcome to you. Yeah, well, I found it interesting that actually within the game itself, there wasn't a lot of any of the kind of maybe the misogyny that we might expect that we hear about in game culture. It was kind of outside in the real world that, that she encountered that. Actually, in a space I'm more familiar with because I'm not a massive um, computer or console gamer, I'm a tabletop gamer. There is that level of um, kind of snobbery about stuff. Like, there, is a, there is a certain attitude about 
sport games are um, like I do like air quotes about like proper games or worthy games, you know, and um, about what it can be a game that you're playing says about you as a person and as a you know and if someone did go up to a load of TNG players and say oh you know I want to be in a board game club that involves Jenga and Scrabble and stuff that reaction is pretty damn accurate I mean yeah. you, it's too mainstream yeah. if you mention Monopoly for tabletop gamers they will go nuts because they hate any of the game but it's not sophisticated enough but I think increasingly you are seeing a lot more non-mainstream games in shops. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's becoming cool and, like, normal now to play lots of diverse games. And as it gets bigger, as with all these things, as you get more diverse designers and players and things like that, everything starts to open up a little bit. I mean, plenty of conversations happening about diversity in board games. And I think it also very much depends on where you are and where you go. Mm-hmm. So, like, for, for instance, I've... Um, never had any problem going into Bidden Planet in Leicester. They have actually have like girls working there. There's lots of women in there every time I go in. Um, lots of different people in there when I go in. And, and the vibe are quite approachable as well. Yeah. Now, I've never had a bad vibe or anyone. If ever I've asked for help in there, they've always been like being helpful and not like, why are you asking about your girl? No, no, they're, they're always really cool um, when I go in. They're always really lovely. Um, it has a really good vibe. Um, but then I have been to other comic book shops in the country where I did feel out of place, where I did feel sad mm-hmm. at. And back in Belgium is the same. And there are so few, another thing as well, there are so few comic book shops um, that cater to American comic books or mm-hmm. English language comic books. Because Belgium is big on like European, Bonda de Dini comic books, which is a different type altogether. And the vibe in there is completely different. There's so much less comic book shops, so much less women go in there. Um, and the vibe can feel very exclusionary. You can, you can feel very sad when you go in. So I think it very much depends on where you go and that kind of determines what kind of attitude you, you encounter. Yeah. Um, so this podcast is brought to you by Forbidden Planet. So in Nottingham, go to page 45, because um, <laughs> that is a local comic book shop. So to kind of bring it back um, to girls in gaming, mm-hmm. um, what does it mean to be a female gamer? So I think Rachel... You have like a large online presence. You play loads of different games. You you are more than any of us. I'm saying female gamer. It's a difficult one to talk to because I generally only play within areas that I feel safe. Right. Um. So like for example, in Overwatch, I don't tend to go on uh, voice chat because I don't want to be shouted at by a twelve year old from America yeah. uh, or have whoever's playing Genji after healing. Um. But I also I just make those safe spaces. Um, but generally, I think uh, the, the video games where you can't build your own character, you generally do play as a male character. Mm. Um, but I, I quite like that in um, a lot of games, whichever gender you pick, it doesn't have a large effect on the game. And I like those. Yeah, like I think Guild Wars 2, very, like, I, I think it's pretty funny because in Guild Wars 2, the different versions that I've played, um, what kind of, in, in, if you pick being a human, the 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 class you pick, as in, well, if you're rich or you're poor, that massively changes the gameplay. Mm. But your gender does not. Yeah, there's depending on what species you play, because there's five species, mm-hmm. and then within those species you can be like, oh, I'm from this background or this background, and that affects the start story, but it's not kind of overall, people don't like, oh, we've got a female commander. Oh, yeah, that is nice, though. I like that. Mm. What I was going to say was, it's interesting that you said about having safe spaces in which to play because um, the Fahrenheit, who are the, the clan within 
course gold um in in real life in, in real life that's gonna get yeah <laughs> um, they're all female guild so that's kind of they've built their own safe space and the fact mm. that people need to build a safe space in the first place is kind of a little bit concerning yeah. Do you think it's a yeah I mean I would say that it's definitely something that not everyone pays attention to but then actually I think the safe space thing I think it shouldn't be a gender issue even though I think it clearly is I think um, specific people who go online with uh, gender or race or sexuality um, feel the need to create safe spaces mm -hmm. but I would actually argue that white men, young white men, young white boys should be doing the same thing. There's a lot of predators um, available online. I think it's interesting that we consider specific people in our society to not need protection, to not mm. need a safe space. Mm. Actually, maybe they should, um, yeah. whether or not they need it. So I, I think, personally, that's kind of how I look at it, whereas cause the online world is so vast and so wide, we shouldn't need safe spaces. And it's definitely true that the way that you know, people talk about women or minorities online or people who are gay online, that that creates a need for those communities to have safe spaces. If, if we could kind of like shift the idea of what is a safe space, who needs a safe space, mm -hmm. what should be present within the safe space, if we could kind of shift the dialogue. I think because it's just so broad and also the gaming industry at the moment is just in a massive cesspool of toxic masculinity. Oh. You had Gamergate come out, which has now turned into Comicscape as well. Sorry. Oh. Sorry. Yeah, I ended up reading about like Gamergate as part of my research for this. I didn't kind of include it in all of my notes because it was just so big and also really depressing. <laughs> well, I mean, only recently the company that runs Guildhall fired a female designer because a female designer was kind of talking on Twitter about the difficulties of doing character design in an online game. So that's her professional life at her job. And this complete rando who doesn't do anything mm. came up and was like, oh, you can just fix it by doing this. And I think she, she probably was like, just had it and went, no, I'm a professional. There are various reasons why I can't just do this. And she took like a very firm stance. And then he did that very, that, that very noisy where he was like, oh, we're just trying to help. Was like, no, you, you were patronizing. You weren't trying to help. That's a really handy excuse to hide behind. Mm. And then she's got like all his followers to be like harassing her online, complaining to her boss. And she got the sack for standing up for herself on a personal Twitter account. Um, mm. So yeah, gaming culture or is not exactly a great place to be in right now. But we don't actually see a lot of that within the graphic novel, mm. um, which I was quite surprised about. I thought that we would see more of that. And I feel like perhaps because they have that all-female guild, that's kind of almost a way of writing that out of the, the story so they can focus on the other parts like the gold mining and everything because mm. you would expect, I don't know, I mean, maybe that's how negative a view I have of it, but you would expect um, a young woman like Amber to experience some misogyny in game. Awesome. I think the thing with having that old female guild, I think the whole thing was set up really weirdly for me. Yeah. I think because you have this, uh, you have Liza come in, who is uh, the guild leader of the Fahrenheit, and she yeah. says, How many of you, um, how many women play video games? And then, How many of you play women in video games? Yeah. And that's how she kind of comes in. So it's, it's slowly setting up to this like female empowerment. No, no, that's what And then it doesn't go anywhere. just drops. And I, I get, Towards the end, she has that confidence to go and make friends with other people. 
and she makes friends with Steph, the girl from the who wants to do the game club. Yeah. So it just kind of goes nowhere. And yes, yeah, so you have a full setup. It's going to be female empowering. Like you've got this full female guild, and it just makes this one female friend, and that's it. It's just it just pieces off. Like it has so much potential. It turns into yeah. being a. I think it got a bit for me. It got a bit confused. Like, was it going to be a story about female empowerment and confidence and self esteem building, or is it going to be about cultural differences? Yeah, and it didn't really know what it wanted it to do. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, is there still that setup in any original and of game? Yeah, um, but I mean, there is a little bit more. Of, I would say there's a little bit more of a mention about um, female characters. She mentions the fact that a lot of the uh, female characters in games are like scantily clad and how she doesn't want to be in a game like that. And she she mentions how in Course Gold um, they wear a lot more realistic clothing and that appeals to her and things like that. So it does kind of touch on that a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's just it's a bit weird. But also, did you find it weird that my like was in their school telling them about gaming as a teacher i can't even go into my into another class that i don't teach and go hi i play this video game come join my guild it'll be great for yourself to see because i think there is a, a negative like a, a few generations above us have a very different idea of what yeah, gaming is especially something i would understand her being allowed in if she made the game or she was one of the designers yeah. in giving a talk doesn't she talk about it being like a big initiative to get girls into games to boost confidence this sounds like part of a wider campaign that they're doing nationwide that was the impression i got well, yeah, she comes from australia yeah, that's like, it's like it's like a thing. It's, it's more like they're like an organisation who like are trying to push girls into gaming that so they can become confident and like push them into STEM fields and things like that. But they don't maybe go into detail about that. And I feel like if that is the case, they maybe should have made that. Matter. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I've kind of just like, well, so, the whole narrative around this single scene. I do that sometimes. It really bothers me that she's called Liza the organiser because I feel like that's the kind of thing that like your mum might like call herself or something, you know, adding Z to things. She does have a she also has a cool character. She does. She has a cool design. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, like it just seems odd to come all the way from Australia to tell people to join a guild unless there was a wider motive or like a wider organisation for it. Mm-hmm. So what I think I do agree there has to be something more to it. Yeah. But without that rooting in the actual text itself, it just Unusual. It's on page like eight. She appears. Um, I mean, it's not a massive part, but it did just kind of bother me. Like at some point, I was just like, that was, that was really weird. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So, um, it, it did feel a bit like I understand why it was there narratively, but she could have just had like a shirt instead of saying "game over," like "gaming girls united" or some sort of branding. Yeah, or it, it did very much feel like this is the reason for the plot to develop. Like, it felt kind of a bit elbowed in. Yeah. But no, because it is later on on page 135. When they meet in the classroom, isn't it? Yeah, it's when they meet in the classroom, it's on page 8. But when you go to page 35, she gets a message from um, Liza about the uh, fact that she has been breaking the rules by doing paid anti-gold farming missions. Uh, and then you are both temporarily suspended. So it's like, Liza, are you... Part of the part are of you school year old? <laughs> part of the development. Why is she in the school again at the end? <laughs> like, she's just wandering around their school. Well, that, I think that's why I figured that it was my case. Right okay. Well, yeah, because it's in the computer lab, so all the parents are like looking at it. So it must be like this thing. I think I have I've, I've built it out of several like random little indicators. Or maybe someone needs to like have a chat and find out why that lives in that school because she's just wandering around. 
just randomly wandering around. Talking to kids about online gaming. Yeah. But, um, Mm. So, looking back to her, do you get the impression she is part of the course girl development team of some form that also plays it? But also, oh yeah, a lot of, uh, I mean, for Guild, Guild Wars, you do run into members of the development team because they've got like a little icon. Mm. Yeah. So, um, do you think the school would see like a value in gaming? Like I said, like, I mean, mm-hmm. a, a few generations older than us do not see gaming in the same way or see it in a more negative light. I think certainly maybe. Um, like my parents probably wouldn't see gaming as a positive thing. But this is an IT lesson and yeah. I think an IT lesson. Also, she's fourteen in the year twenty fourteen. That's very different. I know. I'm I'm forgetting the fact that I was fourteen in two thousand and four. Um and then we all cried. <laughs> I'm just trying to see if I can get a look at her teachers. I know you shouldn't drink people by your cover, but she's got like the I suppose that is just quite useful useful because I could say it useful yeah. as well so I think also that it is now in the curriculum they do have to like learn coding that's really cool so that's the kind of thing I wish like we'd have had a chance to learn I guess it is a, you're, I think the teacher again but I think it's like it's not a gaming college because I don't she's not old enough to be at university mm-hmm. yet but I think it is sort of because she's making games isn't she yeah of course so like that kind of leads its way in terms of like that's really interesting she's making her own games it's shown but for what to what point? And I think that's maybe where this kind of annoyed me a little bit was that it does have these little strands that it kind of pulls up but doesn't really address or doesn't follow up on as much as it could maybe. I feel like it doesn't need to be addressed at the same time because otherwise it wouldn't be doubling the length of it as well. Yeah. But I think it is just, you know, look, we have these women because there's, there's three women that they show holding their hands up. And we have three women who are making video games mm. at a young age. And it's very much, we don't need to address this. This is just, we just want to make normalise it in the same way that they just normalise to the size. Mm. Yeah, I think that's maybe what they were attempting. I mean, I completely agree with you. I well. think Esther's kind of got me on the hard stuff in terms of comic book. And now I can't take anything light anymore. But it has to be like really dark with the present. Don't blame me. Or I can't, I can't like enjoy it. Don't blame me. Like, if, if you came in, we started the podcast at the unfortunate times all. Because like only a month before that, we had Lumber James and that's the delight. Yeah. And, um, so, stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think sort of moving on about sort of the whole old attitude. I think the reaction from her mum. Uh, yeah. When she found out that her daughter was making money was on the internet from strangers was a hundred percent accurate. Like that is the sort of thing my mum would do. Yeah, and I couldn't I couldn't work it out. And I was kind of reading those bits. I was like, is her mum overacting? But also, is her mum kind of considering what her mum knows, which is a limited amount. All she knows is that her daughter is going online mm-hmm. and getting paid by men for something she doesn't know. Like, I was probably concerned about that. Yeah. Maybe that shows that I'm getting older because you stop being like, I think, yeah, I think well, you're yeah. so uncool. I think I would have just been like, dude, what the fuck? And um, no, I, I would just sit them down and be like, um, so I let you go online and well, now you're making money online. You've not talked to me about this, mm. about whether it's okay for you to do this. You know, for all you know, are you paying taxes on this? Or if you buy the HMRC. <laughs> <laughs> But no, so I just be concerned, like, how has this happened? Why am I not voting to me about this? Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to make sure that thing that you're doing is legal and safe as well. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, yeah. what exactly are you being paid to do? So I, I really think it is a very um, sort of concerning thing, especially for a parent who's not very online savvy, who doesn't really know what's happening. That's probably been said, like, loads of 
scandals online about, you know, men tricking girls and taking their clothes off and just going yeah. in front of the camera. So maybe her, her reaction is, like, understandable, which is mm. the way she goes about dealing with it is not necessarily, because then it, it just causes Amber to then kind of go underground with it and kind of be more secretive. I guess to me it kind of indicates that Andy was already not in a great community state with her mum. Mm. I mean, Andy is very kind of withdrawn and uh, shy and insecure um, and a bit of a loner. But, you know, the fact that she didn't sit down with her mum and kind of went, oh, by the way, this is happening, is, mm. is a bit mm. concerning. I mean, the relationship between her and her mum seemed very positive, but I do have a note written here. Why did I just never talk to her mum saying, I'm going to earn money by doing this? Or I could yeah. be making money because she talks about how she'll make money to pay for the game through babysitting. Yeah. So why not just say, oh, I'm earning money by playing the game, which will then cover the cost. Do you think that maybe Amber already knows in in a way she can't put a finger on it, but she kind of knows it's not quite right. I feel like she goes along with it pretty easily, but she just starts questioning it, doesn't she? Like kind of when Mamie begins to talk, and then yeah. what they're doing is technically not illegal because it's not a crime, but it's she gets against the laws of the game. Yeah, it's against the laws of the game. And I think it's kind of, it, it's this thing where she knows, I think I think she doesn't realise it's slightly dodgy. Because um, it doesn't, some of the person who invited her to do it, ask her to kind of stay quiet about it. Sarge. Sarge, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's less being shady that you don't see Sarge's face. Yeah, when she introduces the idea, the background goes, goes all shady and non-script. So it doesn't introduce us to the idea that it is dodgy straight away. It's secretive. And she's completely blacked out. Like, I understand why they did that, because they were only voice chatting, not video chatting. Yeah. But yeah, I think how it's presented is quite sinister. Mm. It's not to Andy, to us, to the audience. It is projected as kind of shady, kind of dodgy. Yeah. Do we want to talk a little bit more about, like, what's going on there and why, what she's actually doing? So for those of you who are not familiar with gold farming... Um, and do correct me if I'm wrong about this, Rachel, but the way I understand it is that essentially when you play an online game, you can do missions and you can also farm. So you get natural resources from the landscape within the game. You can sell those if you need those to make items. And there's a lot of rare items that you can find this way and that kind of thing. But it takes a lot of time out of your gameplay to be doing loads and loads of farming. So there's quite a lot of characters and people out there who do the farming and then sell the resources for real money to other players. Actually, World of Warcraft had that scenario where there was almost gold farming that was being felt out, and people were doing that, like, full-time. Like, people quit their jobs to do that mm-hmm. for 10 years. The World of Warcraft economy collapsed, and then these people, like, had to go back into the job market and were like, how do I put on a CV that I have a 10-year gap because I was gold farming for 10 years without saying exactly mm-hmm. that? Um, but more concerning than, you know, just an individual somewhere doing it is the fact that some of the um, the gold farmers are kind of working in what we've called like sweatshop conditions. Hmm. So um, I kind of, just before we move on to the conditions, I think yeah. the setup with the gold farming and being able to kill the gold farmers to stop their resources, it just doesn't make sense. Oh, really? Like very rarely in video games you can... Unless it's set up in a sort of PvP player mm-hmm. situation, you very rarely can kill other ca- other players. Very rarely. And like even then, it's like a sort of it's explained in a reason. Like uh, like Destiny Two has PVE, which is player versus everyone, where you can you could find a character, mm-hmm. and then you just play PvP, but your character never permanently dies. Yeah. And also, it's like you don't. So therefore, why would you go kill them and not just report them? Which is yeah. a typical approach. I think, is it, is it a case in this game that if you get killed in-game, you lose 
point and develop points yeah. or something, which again, it's even rarer, I would say. It's even more rare. So it is very rare for you to be able to kill other active players, even more rare for those players to then be reset back like a level or something. Mm. Um, that is cause that's more like traditional video gaming where there are no other players. Yeah. I'm thinking like Lara Croft, where you die and you go back to the last point you say it or something. Or Final Fantasy, that's what I played. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be it's very rare. It's, it just, to me, it did feel a bit shoehorned in, like there was a sense of irregularity about it. But sorry, yeah. Um, so if we ignore that huge gaping hole, <laughs> um, yeah, the conditions, um, yeah, it could be Raymond, the sort of the protagonist is from China, isn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's working unholy hours. Yeah. Because apparently, I did not know this until I did my research, 80% of all the gold farmers um, operating kind of on, in online games are you know, based in China. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a lot. Um, I think so. I think, I think it used to be a massive thing in America as well, but um, that would mostly be um, contained to World of Warcraft. Mm. And um, it's sort of more kind of individuals. Yeah. It's not in the companies, I would say. But these these people in, you know, these sort of what they called virtual sweatshops were employed by large companies. So they would do the, the, the mining of the gold and stuff and then these companies would sort of sell it on online. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were set on to basically exploit the fact that they could pay people low wages mm-hmm. um, because they're, they're based in countries where they don't have to pay particularly high wages. And they would be working sort of 12-hour shifts in poor conditions. And there's also, which I found really fascinating, a Guardian article about um, prisoners in China being forced to mine gold. Mm-hmm. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. So they were, they were saying that they had to, um, you know, do all the kind of physical labour in the daytime, and then in the evening, like they were being forced to to mine gold. That's oh, yeah. No. And there were things like physical punishment for not doing that, and they're playing so they couldn't see. But China has now banned using virtual currency by real world items. We did that in 2009, but they kind of haven't done the reverse. Yeah. So it's really weird because you can still, it still basically works. You can still do it. Um, but yeah, so that's the kind of, that is real. And that is what surprised me because I thought it was something that was made up of a story. And so I read into it. I was aware that you can sell stuff like on, you know, that, that kind of thing mm. that works. But I didn't realise that it was going on on such a large level and the fact that people were being exploited in order to, to sort of get that get those rewards and stuff that was quite surprising most MMOs I mean I know Guild Wars definitely have that you'll be standing around an area and you'll suddenly get a message saying buy gold Mm. yeah I've seen that you've been tempted to nah I mean I think Guild Wars is going back onto Guild Wars it's the reason I like Guild Wars so much is that you can earn a lot quite quickly yeah yeah and I'm not really short of gold yeah and and then use gold to buy like diamonds which you can use to buy the sort of so you have like a cash shop, mm-hmm. which is just cosmetic, like you can't play to pay to win, which is a lot of games you can do. Um, and so you can like buy like a pretty outfit for your horse or griffin. Um, <laughs> and it's fun, yeah. It is. It's really does interesting. I, I've now got a flying cat. Griffin. Um, and you can earn that just by playing the game. So you don't have to pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, I try and I try, like, I, I try with a capital T, not spend that much real life money on games. Yeah. But I've never been tempted. In game purchases. Yeah, in game purchases. But I've never been tempted to cut corners. Mm-hmm. In I mean, yeah, the only thing that I that I really ever or I ever purchased was um, the transfer to a different server. I signed on about a year before I met Rachel. I was on a different server that you play on. Um, and then once we realised we wanted to play together, 
I thought it service, and that, that's how you had to, you could, that was the weird thing, you could pay in-game money to put service as well, so you don't even have to pay in cash for that. Yeah, but a lot of games you can't earn that currency, mm-hmm. so you do have to pay, but I try and like, avoid the temptation, I don't even look at it. Mm-hmm. So the idea of buying something from a gold farmer, to me, I don't want a risk having my account painted to this, you know, yeah. bought something regular, I don't want my account to get frozen, I want to keep enjoying having fun, and if I want something that much, I'll just play it until I go blind. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think if I did play those kind of games, I know what sort of person I am, and I would be like, I cannot like break the rules. I cannot cut corners. I have to do it myself. Uh, it's, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, <laughs> got to do that grind. I think I think the worst cheating I've done is like after Rachel, come help me. I can't do the turn. Rachel, I'm going to be a level character. Can you can you come and just see the dragon fall? me. I think I think that's the most I've ever been. And even yeah. that's not even cheating because. A lot of that's the one thing I don't like about online gaming is that a lot of it is set up now in a way that you have to join a guild or you have to be in a group to complete certain missions. I'm like, no, I'm a loner. I think like I, I mean I play a mobile game because I don't want to have to talk to people on public transport. So the yeah, more ways I can look preoccupied the better. Yeah, I play a mobile game. Um, it's a Marvel one, and it it makes you join a guild at the start. Oh. Yeah, and it's like here's guild chat, and I'm like. No, no, no. So I'm still oh, part oh. of the guild. Yeah. So we still work together doing these missions because you can't unlock some characters without mm. it. But I don't talk to them. See, I always thought, like, I should just make a guild that's like, this is a guild for people who don't want to be in a guild. <laughs> They're not forced to do the game. Minimum interaction is required. Because I'm just so sick of it. And, and like, because some guilds are, like, super hardcore. Like, I was... I was I remember of this guild on an online game one. And for me, it was just like, oh, I do it like in my off hours, I've got five minutes here, five minutes there. And they, but then they, the, the guild leader started like sending around messages like, everyone has to do their daily quest every day and um, so we can get all the points, blah, 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 blah. And it got so bad. This other guy started, mes- started messaging and figured like, we really hate him. We're going to go and make our own guild. Do you want to come? <laughs> so it was like this mass exodus uh, at some point. I think that's why I quit that game as well. I was like, oh, fuck this. It feels odd to have a Fahrenheit. I quite like it. Isn't yeah. it? I thought it was kind of cool. And these odd Fahrenheit, it's kind of pleased to be this female-only scenario. Mm-hmm. But how can they gatekeep? Like, just because someone's got a female avatar doesn't mean that Sarah's female. How do they verify gender? Mm. And even then, like, is it, is it only allowing people that identify as women? What about people that don't identify as gender? And it comes into this whole umbrella of, mm-hmm. like... I mean, on the one hand, I do feel that there should be female-only spaces where women can talk about being women and existing in spaces as women. Um, and I think that includes all women. It doesn't matter what body you were born with. You're, you say you're a woman, you're a woman, you should be in that space. Um, on, the other, on the other hand, there should also be like non-binary spaces or only non-binary spaces where people who are non-binary can meet and talk about their experiences and enjoy activities together without that pressure of having to conform to a gender. So I, I think these spaces can be really useful, but it's about the way that you communicate about them. It's about the way you, you know, how how do you ensure that your members are who they say they are in an online space? And like, how far are you going to go? Are you actually going to police membership? Mm-hmm. Way, how do you, if you say, this is a safe space because of because we only allow mm-hmm. women, how are you going to police that? Because I'm sorry, women can be assholes. So just because that's an all female space doesn't mean that's a safe space. So that's two different concepts. I guess it depends on what your what the intent of having yeah. only women in in yeah. that group is. Like why? 
because the problem is that there are some women who are transphobic, say, or, you know, American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, on that I'm note, sorry. I'll, I'll, sorry, I'm just looking through it now. Why does Raymond appear at the end? Who? The, the guy, the Raymond who gets his Oh, well, it's, it's like in the new record, like, oh, he's not gone or dead. Oh, yeah, but no, it's at a Fahrenheit party. Yeah, and, and they go raiding with him as well. But maybe that's a nice little thing of like, it's not all, guys, the best. Lucy is actually a very predatory character because mm. she knows it's wrong. She's been, she's experienced one. She knows that what they're doing is against the rules. And without, and she doesn't tell Andy that that's against the rules. She just goes, do you want to? She kind of ruins her, makes sense yeah. of her, and sort of like, like, takes advantage of her. Exactly. Who, who is this Lucy? Do you know? Who she is in real life is there at the end. But it's as good as that could be anyone. So she seems super predatory to me. So again, it's like just because a, a, a space is all female doesn't mean there's no predators in that space. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We kind of got off the topic of the thing, which was gold farming. So gold farming, would we say that gold farming itself is ethical? No. The problem is, why? Yeah. The thing is, it gets really weird because initially it sounds really silly. It's like, it's this issue that's in games, like, what does it matter? It's just a yeah. game. But then when you add this layer of, like, the fact that there are people behind that and what's going into it, so there's a particular line where Amanda says, um, page 54, she says, people spend months trying to earn that much gold. How is that fair? And it's like, it sounds kind of silly at first when you think about it, because it's like, well, you're just gaming. It's not important. Then you realise that the, the gold farmers have spent months yeah, and hours and yeah. stuff earning money. You shouldn't be compensated for their labour. Yeah, and it, it, it all they get very weird. But it's like, I mean, I don't go out and farm my own vegetables. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The analogy is important because it looks like it. Yeah, I definitely go outdoors regularly. Do you see the sea hand? Oh yeah, <laughs> that academic hunch comes in real handy. Um, no, I'm just saying. Like, the analogy understands, right? In real life, we pay someone to do our farming. Because 
they're making a choice, they don't have to do that. That's something that the money that they are making is just for fun kind of yeah. thing. It's just mm-hmm. it's you know, money that they can spend on fun things. It's not their livelihood. Is Lucy a full time gamer though? I think, she, I think she's. A, it looks like she's the same age. I think. I know she looks slightly older. She's got a lot of piercings. Therefore, she must be. Older. Yeah. Oh, clearly, piercings uh, equated with age. Okay, so I think we've talked a little bit um, about the gold farming, um, and I just kind of um, want to make sure that we've addressed everything that we wanted to say about that because it is a huge part of the novel, and I know that for us it might be the least interesting bit. <laughs> Um, because there's so much other stuff that, that we enjoy about reading it. But was there anything else about, about gold farming per se that someone wanted to, to bring up? Um, just about the fact that, I guess, that the graphic novel chose quite a simplified way of how unions and strikes work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But at the same time, this is a graphic novel for all ages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I suppose that thing is, it's, I never really thought about what age it was aimed at. I'm like, I am reading it, therefore, it is aimed at me. (laughs) 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 But actually, I mean, if you're younger and reading it, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, because it doesn't have an age warning on a torses. It's not even a rated teen. Yeah. You've got a different background. I have a different background, but you've got a folding cover, haven't you? Yeah, it is aimed at a younger audience. I think it definitely has simplified um, the way that unions work. I think what I felt throughout this graphic novel was that there was a bigger, deeper graphic novel living inside it, like that wanted to be born, that wanted to come out, that I felt that I could imagine, that I could sort of see, and that I wanted to read, but it didn't quite get there. And think, which, which graphic novel was that then? <laughs> like, like, well, what would that have been about? Well, it would have been about the same thing, but mm. just it would have gone into more. It would have been maybe darker. I think, yeah. See, you can't tell me that you want life to stuff to read because all the dark stuff is pressing, and then come back and say, "Oh, I want it to be darker." Like, no. The thing is, right? I would have. I think what what we're craving as like slightly older readers of a novel that is meant to be for readers mm-hmm. is that we would have expected more character development, more depth, maybe, because. Um, I think Anna's relationship with her mother is very interesting. I would have liked more on that. I would have liked to see Anna talk about talk with her father more about the whole union thing. Because yeah. um, I think that's done well for a younger audience. But like as an adult, I'm kind of like, it's not that easy though, is it? And it isn't. I think the like, big problem for me in this book when I first read it was that I didn't consider this for a younger audience. Right. Because for me, yeah. I felt too, the end was too deus ex machina. It was too simple to... Um, I know you have to suspend your disbelief for reading comics, but for this I had to suspend it too much for the ending. Yeah, it almost feels, to me, it almost feels rushed. Like it should have been a larger book. Yeah, the setup, like, the setup, this kind of addresses back how the setup was like, hey, I'm a random, I'm a random gaming person, have some games. Um, again, that could have been like developed into like, oh, I'm running a national contract, Dan, blah, 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 blah. My idea, basically, do my idea, uh, Dan Warren, do my idea. And then basically just more. That's, yeah. that's the thing. And I think I, it's, it's a nice, fluid read. I really enjoyed it. But I, I hold that more. I, I guess that's a, that's a good sign. Yeah. I want more. It's a fun size Marfar is what it is. Or a fun size any chapter bar of your choice. It's, 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 never really it's, fun. it's, in, it's enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. But I want more now. It's, it's kind of like when you get a box of celebrations and you have the one snicker and then you just go hunting for all the other snickers because you're like, actually, I want a fucking snicker bar. Snickers are the worst. If you read the other book that Jen Wang's done recently, mm-hmm. The Prince and the Dressmaker, because okay. it deals with 
gender and representation of gender in a lot of detail. Nice. And it is really good. Like, I read that and I was like, I've got no problem with this comic. Uh, the Prince and the Dressmaker. The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang. And oh, the Dressmaker and the Prince. So, yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's not really good. So, um, I think we talked a bit about gold farming and unionization. I think we all agreed that um, the way that unionization is represented in the book is a bit simplified. But I personally couldn't elaborate on how exactly to unionize. Um, so, unless someone wants to jump in and kind of elaborate on the information that's missing. Um, that's great, but we can also go to the next bit. What say you guys? Um, I feel very hypocritical here, and I'm going to be like, I don't know enough about you. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Not, I don't, not off the top of my head. I know enough to say that you should join a union if you can, because mm. your boss will screw you over if the time comes. Um, and that's personal experience talking, just to let you know. Even if you get on really well with your manager, your manager is pushed into a corner and put in a position. Also, your manager very often doesn't have that much power anyways. So it is important to unionize and important to vote in union votes and ballots. Well, yeah, I mean, it all depends because I don't know if American unions follow the same rules as English unions. That's true. So it's, it's a bit wonky, a bit complicated. Um, but I don't know, I'm kind of glad it did simplify the unionization. Because I don't necessarily mean specifically how unions work. I mean, mm. I just mean in terms of kind of where it all fits in. But I think, in a way, the absence of that is really beneficial. Because if you think about the absence that Amanda has, like the absence of knowledge of how China works and how Chinese, mm. the dog market oh, works, yeah. Chinese law, her complete ignorance uh, is that, I think, it's just a nice parallel. Yeah, because I mean, I know that she does kind of go go at it with a kind of like I can do this thing and I'm going to sort this thing out and it's all going to be fine and then it does kind of crumble and um, Raymond does lose his job and there is a little bit of back and forth about that and they're quite some of the other um, golf farmers are quite angry at her mm. because wow. yeah she he doesn't you know he, he's having a go at her because she doesn't realise what it's like for them and the reality of, of that life but it still kind of all wraps up quite neatly it's just like oh he, he happens to get offered a job back in his hometown by someone who else who's, you know, who's got golf farming and they all get what they want in the end and it's like it does kind of try to, to explore it a bit more but then it kind of chickens out a little bit and goes actually yeah well I, I think it's that thing where, where we say we would have wanted more um, but it's not really geared to all of that yeah um, so yeah I mean that's okay that's, that's fine oh yeah, yeah. It's, 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 just, it's, it's still a nice read it's just interesting yeah, yeah. That kind of brings us to the end of that little bit. Um, is there any else that anything else that we would really want to discuss? Two bits. One I really liked uh, on page 133, which is just um, after the conflict with Lucy, um, uh -huh. and one of Raymond's co-workers appears. Uh, and I really like how it applies the ignorance of applying your own cultural norms to another culture. Because I think it's a very important message. He says, "Nice job, American. You don't know anything about us." The boss caught him conspiring to take down the company and fired him immediately. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important message that with the world being so connected now, mm. I mean, I can't even talk to my friends in America about how education works because I don't even understand this between juniors, so for more and yeah, sophomore. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think it's an yeah. important message. I think it's not turned into a big like soapbox. Yeah. I think it's well addressed because, like, even though they did PhD, it's completely different because they have these, they have like a big exam. In their first year, and I'm like, "What? You don't do exams in your PhD? You're way beyond that." Don't have this big, big 
exam thing. So yeah, it, it's completely different. Um, well, even their degree, they don't choose, like they don't actually want to get for the three years. Yeah. So it's just, so even somewhere we would say we're very similar to America, it's actually very different. So I think I like that it highlights actually you can't just apply your, your own yeah. physical experience at all. Like even kind of, well, societal structures are completely different. The law is different. Um, the recourse people have are different. I think that the kind of, they get a false sense of proximity because they're in this yeah, online world yeah. together and they're communicating. It feels like they are all together, but an actual fact. And, and, and interesting, yeah. has pointed out that you do tend to automatically almost apply your own cultural standard. Even when you kind of, um, or you, 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 you interpret everything according to your own cultural standard, even when you know that the culture is different, um, yeah, like you said, proximity kind of erases mm-hmm. that consideration. Um, and it's, it's certainly certainly an issue. And yeah, like you said, the, the comic highlights that really well. Without turning into a big, big thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just a nice nudge of like, we you know, because like, she did try to help. She, she meant well. But yeah. cultural imperialism. The way to hell is paved with good, good intentions. And the last part I think was, um, it was kind of, they're creating this whole message of teamwork yeah. in the comic, and then there's no teamwork of any sort in either real life or in the com- or online. Yeah. And I also made a note of the fact that it was meant to be like gaming is good, gaming can teach you all these skills and blah blah blah. And it's like, but in no place in the comic does it show you how many things are learned. Or well, she does at the end. She just has the confidence to go talk to Steph. Yeah. But it doesn't really show how she gains or why she gains that. She just mm. is, and it's like it, I don't know. It just it felt again like these things were brought up and then not fully developed. Mm. Yeah, agree. But it also for me, I think as someone who has a lot of online friends, it did kind of show the importance and how it can be good. For, it kind of it didn't show it to an extent I'd have liked it to, but it was. It wasn't going. Everybody's online and the predator out to kill you. No, because <laughs> I think I think that one the art kind of circumvents that. Yeah, because the art is so cute, it doesn't feel threatening. Mm. Um, but also I think you do see Amber flourish. You see her flourish mm. and mature and become more confident. She dyes her hair, which for her is a brave choice because she is like super eager to not stand out at mm. all. Mm. But then with the hairdo, which is um, more red than her, her regular brown, so she stands out a bit more. Um, so I, I do think you see indirectly perhaps the benefit of Amber being online and experiencing her relationship with Lucy. Because that, as, as creepy as we might think Lucy is a little bit, um, it does seem to benefit under um, in, in a really good way. Mm. It'd be nice if you made it like her and Lucy. They do show her and Lucy reconnecting at the end, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. That's a nice positive. A very nice positive. It would have been nice if there were other. I mean, the, the Penguin character keeps coming back, so that's a positive for, yeah. for me. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it kind of the idea of building a community doesn't appear until right at the end. Right at the end. Like, you do have all the Fahrenheit helping her out towards the end, but it's never really said why. Like, there's no build up to that of like, creating bonds it's just very much like we've had your good so we will follow you mm-hmm. yeah i think this comic could have done a lot more i but i also feel it didn't need to i think the story it's told was sufficient enough yeah but are we just greedy is that is that what it comes down to are we just wanting too much from what is a simple narrative yeah maybe I've been feeding too much into this comic game, but children. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you really like me? Consider our whole lives. 
I can we talk about our favourite and um, palette for a little for, for yeah. of our winding down exercise? Yes, yes we can. So my favourite bit is on page one one. So this is where she's like um desperate to kind of get information, but she has been banned from using the internet for a month by now. And I can't, yes, obviously the listener can't um, see it, but I do hope you you check the book out at some point and have a look. Um, this is basically she's trying to like disguise herself going <laughs> into the cafe. So she's going to an internet cafe because um, um, she she can't go online at home, and she's got like this ridiculous big coat and like a big scarf and her hat and like her sunglasses. And to me, it's it's really cutely drawn, like it's adorable and I love it. But it's also like super funny because like that is exactly what a fourteen year old thinks of disguise is, like mm-hmm. removing and things. And it's like I know it's you, Emma. Like I know it's you. Um I don't know, it just it seems particularly kind of the kind of joyful, funny, slightly naive yeah. vibe, quite sweet vibe that the entire book has. So that it's it, it, it's kind of a flow where nothing really happens. But I don't know, it stands out to me, I quite, I quite like yeah. it. Um, I don't know what, what your favourite moment was, perhaps. I was going to say the penguin, like, like <laughs> <laughs> the penguin is pretty great. Yeah. He's, one of the characters in the guild has this avatar that's a penguin that is one point like wearing what looks like a bucket on its head and then he's later wearing a really nice like floral hat, floral feathers hat thing. But um, other than that, I don't know, I just, I did enjoy the art in general. I really enjoyed the colour palette. Yeah. Um, especially the real life bit. Although it's meant to be like, you can see it meant to be a bit darker tone. It's still a really satisfying colour. Very nice autumnal colour mm. there with lots of like oranges and greens and browns. Yeah. And, stuff. Yeah. and it felt quite warm and quite homely, I guess. Um, and then in contrast to the to the game world, which is a lot lighter and brighter, but more pastel-y. Yeah, but it was nice. It was a nice change because that's why we called the um the episode of the title the one where we go full colour because this is actually the first graphic novel with red of the podcast that is fully fully in colour. We've had bits of colour here and there, but this yeah. is the first one that's fully in colour and it is nice. I, I think it does kind of it is it is as a, a book entirely very different from what we had before. Mm-hmm. I think the colour um really does. Stand out because we've seen um, uh, graphic artists do some interesting things with colour. So, um, for instance, Suffragette has that mostly in black and grey, but has those pops of green and um, purple because of the Suffragette colours. And then, of course, um, Sally's shock of red hair. Very minimal but effective use um, in colour. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same goes for, for, for blankets, a very limited uh, colour use. and Oh, the other one, Ghost, Ghost World, is like all green. That's a really green, light colour. Yeah, kind of, like very 90s in a way somehow. Um, but this is, has a very full colour palette, mm. uh, which I really enjoy. But even with that full colour palette, like Sarah has said, it very clearly delineates the line between the real world and the digital world. Because, so like you said, the digital world is more pastel It also has more fantastical colours. Mm. Um, it's got like the background. A lot of it is kind of like, like more like, like, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, like a watercolor feel. You've got um, this kind of um, the the special effect that you have in video games come out in watercolors as well. Um, and whereas, like you say, I think the real life sections tend to have autumnal, slightly darker, more a little bit more muted. 
Gilman. So get to reading and we'll see you next time.